Jameis Winston has been the best option at quarterback for the Saints. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Cameron's so excited about the possibility of his 49ers making the playoffs, we've had to send him away for a few days to calm down. So while he relaxes and licks his wounds, but more of that later, we will concentrate on the playoff picture, two weeks worth of awards, and Antonio Brown may get a mention Along the way, I'm delighted to be joined by Charles Patterson and Gordon McGuinness for episode 177. Gentlemen, good evening to you both. And don't we just love an Antonio Brown story? Oh, good evening. Happy New Year. Um, same same storyline as we've seen many, many years past, I guess, isn't it? It's a shame, but couldn't say it wasn't going to happen at some point. There was someone, I, I think it was like some talking head said something like, oh, this is like the third time something like this has happened with Antonio Brown. Third. It's like maybe the 28th or something like that. At this point. Like it's not, we're, not at, we're not at the three strikes and you're out. We're at, he's had 85 strikes and we're still, well, maybe he'll get another team. You forget uh, that he was on the Raiders and there was an entire episode of Hard Knocks dedicated to what he was doing whilst he was in dispute with the Raiders um, and him working out in his pool and that was and his, three and his, teams and his, ago. And his toe. And his toe. Uh, yeah, and the, all the stuff, everything, it's just a drama. It's, it's, it's been a melodrama ever since he started falling out with the, the powers to be in Pittsburgh. And the thing that is really sad about the whole situation is the fact he's such a talented player. And he's not going to be remembered for the great things he did at the start of his career, ultimately. Now, it's going to be remembered for all the, the bad stuff that's happened. My, my favourite meme of the whole the whole thing of Antonio Brown obviously taking off the, the shirt, throwing the stuff into the crowd and then dancing through the end zone. I don't know if you've seen it. It's the sign that, he, that somebody's placed in his in his hands, uh, basically saying Tom Brady got beat by Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon this season, this morning, yeah. which I thought was 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 absolute genius. So we'll, we'll come back to Antonio Brown in in a few moments. Let's. We had our pish cast last week. We'd like to thank everybody for their kind comments, and a lot of the comments were very kind. We were relatively, in some cases, sober, not so in others, and using up some of the crap or alcohol that people had lying around. But we didn't get round to week sixteen. Uh, for our belter and ball bag. So just a very, very quick roundup of that. Basically, week 16, the majority of people went for Joe Burrow. Great performance, fantastic game. Mark McEwen, Richard Driver, David Brown, uh, among the many people nominating him. Josh Allen, uh, most people didn't give the Bills a chance, rolled into New England and gave them a beatdown, says Hugh and Chalmers. Gareth King uh, talks about that as well. There was some nominations for Lane Johnson, uh, a perfectly schemed big man, all lineman touchdown, first for an eagle lineman since 2010. For guys had his battles this season with mental illness and still played to this level. He should have been a pro bowler. He gets this week's belter. Gavin Newlands had nominated the Las Vegas Raiders defence and the whole of the last Raiders team. Um, so half of the Raider nation still not happy with what's been a really frustrating season. And I think we'll, we'll talk about the Raiders in the next part again. Um, somebody... Reckon that we were the belter for livening up 2021 with podcasts, a couple of other nominations along the way. The Bob Ag for week 16, Baker Mayfield. So many interceptions. Now remember, 
this is the week before. This isn't this week. Uh, Tony Brewerton, Joe Judge and Cameron Hobbs. Joe Judge, get a grip and have a look back. A quarterback for a game. Don't pull a guy that's starting his first NFL game. Cam, go back and listen to your alphabetical order pick of the winners last week. Doesn't pass the sniff test. It's, it's, which was quite funny. We, we had lots of one. Shag Khan gets it in the neck again for the Urban Meyer. Ken Kerr talked about the entire New York football giants organization and lots and lots for the Washington football team, particularly the D-line as well. So there was lots. So the week 16, just to get the admin out of the way, we can raise a glass, our Loch Lomond, belted of the week for week 16. Gary May wins our bottle of whiskey. And for the Bobags, Bobag of the week, Al McLeod will find himself in a pair of very comfy pants very soon indeed. But gentlemen, two week number 17, and another strange old week in the NFL. And Gordon, I mean, it's you know this is coming. Jamar Chase has got the nominations almost across the board. Uh, a lot of people nominated Joe Burrow as well, but and some even nominated both Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But I'm trying to remember when we last saw such a dominant wide receiver uh, play for the Bengals. It was tremendous stuff. Yeah, I think, I mean, he, he already looks like he's going to be better than Chad Johnson was for the Bengals, which is saying something. But, like, he's come straight in, straight into the NFL. What people forget is he sat out the 2020 college season at LSU because you could opt out due to COVID, and he did. So he came into the NFL cold from a year of not playing football, walked into the NFL, preseason everyone slated the pick because he kept dropping the ball. There were parts of this year that he was dropping the ball. He's now set the record for most yards in a season by a rookie. Did it in week 17, which means it was still done in the old 16 games, so no one can put an asterisk on the record. And the connection between him and Joe Burrow very quickly has put the Bengals among the contenders in the AFC. It's extraordinary how quickly he has... It's a bit like Justin Jefferson last year, how he quickly got up to speed and then just kept going. I was, I've been looking at some of the games mid-season. He had a wee, you know, a wee dip. Um, so a wee 8, 9, 10. And there were, there were three, four games on the bounce around there by where he didn't top 50 yards. But he's had two explosions over 200 yards. And he's had another 150-yard game. This is a guy who can destroy defences. And we're living in an age now, in the last couple of years, defences have now decided that to counter Patrick Mahomes in particular in the Kansas City Chiefs, they're playing these two high safeties. And they were just, they've been rampaging all over. Um, Cincinnati have been rampaging all over defences all season at various points. And the fact that they've got a guy on the other side in T Higgins and the fact that they've also got Tyler Boyd, they've got, they are the only team, perhaps with the exception of Dallas, that legitimately have three wide receivers who can stretch the field and can make any kind of play. It's not just outside the numbers. He makes he, he can play all over the all over the park. So he's so talented. But you've got to you've got to appraise the Bengals organization for giving Joe Burrow the man that he wanted because don't forget he lobbied for Jamar Chase to be picked. And they've now given Zach Taylor enough time to develop as a coach and give give him that extra year with Joe Burrow and just allow the whole thing to to grow. And it just looks so promising for, for future years now. And I, I tell you what, Zach Taylor has evolved as a coach. The mm. last two weeks against the Ravens and the Chiefs, there's a thing you can track, which is um, neutral pass rate, which is effectively 
rather than looking at how often you pass the ball and it being like, oh, you know, they throw the ball in third and 15 a lot and that pumps up the numbers. Looking at the situations whereby, generally speaking, it's an even split when you would run or pass the ball. In those situations, the last two weeks, the Bengals have thrown the ball 70% of the time. Earlier this season, Zach Taylor was a guy who would just, in that game against the Chiefs, and why I thought they would lose that game, is because I thought Zach Taylor would play it safe run the ball, try and keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes. And maybe he would have done if they didn't fall behind early, but fair, absolute fair play to him. And then late on in the game, we were talking about this in our WhatsApp group. Cameron's calling for them to kick the field goal. It's fourth and one. And again, thought Zach Taylor would go for it. I, I said to Charles in the chat, the Bengals are not that analytically minded. I don't think they'll go for it, but they should. Because if you go for it and make it, you don't need to score a touchdown, gain the yard and run the clock out and kick the field goal. And that's exactly what they did. They, they did not give the opportunity for Patrick Mahomes to go down and score. I must admit, I liked that play, but when the penalty came, I, I, I was less certain and just wondered, you know, if they would have played safe. Now, I mean, Zach Taylor's an interesting one. Penny Sue was the player that many wanted drafted in Cincinnati to provide the support. Now, you can say because of how Jamar Chase has done, they, they've won that argument. But I mean, Zach Taylor could probably go into a McDonald's in Cincinnati. Nobody would know who he is. He's just got such a low profile of, of all the head coaches. You know, he, you know, he, he almost ghosts his way in, but I think you're right, Gordon. I think these are signature wins for him. In terms of our, I mean, as I say, loads and loads of people suggest that, you know, Brian Dando chased the Chiefs out of town with that performance. Ross Sterling, what a performance for the rookie. And Ross is a is a Chiefs fan, you know, but he, he doffs his cap to him. David Brown, the obvious choice. Well, absolutely, you know, and, and I think that was the thing. John Blair just threw in Jalen Hurts as well for a wee, wee thank you to him. But, I mean, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, I don't think there's there's much doubts that Cincinnati is where this is going. But I think one of the best comments came in from Patrick Watson, and he said this, if you had to explain to a non-NFL friend quite why you'd have a friend that doesn't like the NFL, that's another story, why you like the sport, you would just show them that game. A superb ding-dong battle, Nance and Romo on the comms, pure box office. And it was, that's the kind of game that I think ignites a lot of passions. And the Bengals are not seen as sexy, but I think the national TV picture is now starting to see them. I think they've always been the lovable underdog who have never never been threatening to achieve anything. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of teams in the NFL who didn't expect them to, to go from worst to first, which is what they've done in that division. We've been talking for the last two, three years about how tough a division the AFC North is. And for one reason or another, the Bengals are suddenly sitting at the top of the pile. Now, you could argue that Baltimore and Cleveland have been compromised um, significantly this year, not not with not not due to their own fault, but the Bengals clearly had the pieces. It was just about putting it together. And we did a podcast, I think, back in October where we um, we we talked about how how great they'd been after they'd beaten Baltimore the first time, and that was a surprise result at the time. These two back to back performances by Joe Burrow in particular, he is now in the in the elite pantheon of of top five, top six quarterbacks in the NFL. The question is, can he now deliver? When it matters, in the playoffs, they're going to have a home playoff game. There's a chance they could get the one seed. It's very, very, very unlikely. But they're, they're going to be at home, probably in the wild card round. Can they do it when the pressure's on? And can they do it against a different kind of defense as well? And that is the next step. But if they can add 
perhaps one or two more on defence and add more to the offensive line. I don't see any reason why that team can't grow and be a threat for the next two or three years at least. The the interesting thing is going to be, so this season I think is really interesting. Um, I think we've seen over the last couple of years that a young quarterback takes a huge step forward, be it Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, um, Patrick Mahomes, now Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, all those players. And what happens next is NFL defenses have a lot more film on you. And I think people often think this is just restricted to athletic quarterbacks, but it's not. It's people get to know your tendencies and those things. And what it becomes in the NFL is that now this game of cat and mouse. And can you adapt when the defense starts to pick up on little things you're doing and they find little flaws in your game that they can um, they can attack? And as long as Joe Burrow can stay ahead of that, then the Bengals can be a team that contends. I think the AFC North is going to be fascinating again next year because the Steelers have done exactly what I thought they would do this year. That that team had no business being around 500. No, like Ben Roethlisberger has been horrendous this year. So the Steelers, I think, if they can find some kind of quarterback, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on, uh, could be a threat again. The Ravens, if they have in, the Ravens, if they didn't have injuries, probably went to this last week with a chance to win the division against the Bengals. Although I think the Bengals beat them twice on merit. I don't think a full-strength Ravens team win either of those games the way they went. And the Browns this year, the Browns, I think, are probably the team you're most worried about in the AFC North right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it's what you say about the quarterbacks as well, because I think well, we're going to go back just five years when the entire quarterback class, which was led by Winston and Mariota, none of them made it, really, into that into what you would class that next level. You know, they had their moments, they had their, you know, their star potential. But as Gordon said there, Charles, teams learn, and there's probably no more analytical sport on this planet than the NFL, and people know how to attack your weak points. Uh, indeed, but you've also, if, if you're in a position where you have a good background, a good basis of a defence, if you've got a running back who can carry the load, if you are struggling, then I think that you will be, as a young quarterback, in a better position. I think Joe Burrow's in a good position because he's now got a settled coach there, a coaching setup, setup who who understand how he, his vagaries. He's got lots of weapons, but he's also got a running back who is... Eh, who's going to be able to, 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 as I say, carry the load if he struggles next season. We saw Baker Mayfield move forward last year and then he's regressed this year, perhaps because of injury. But the Browns got to the point where they were in the season because they were able to fall back on the running game. Teams need to be rounded now. The teams that are going to succeed in the playoffs are the teams that have got strength on each in each facet of their game, whether it's defence or running the ball or being strong up front. The Bengals have got to protect Joe Burrow the thing that they have to do in the offseason is get a better offensive line. He's been sacked a ridiculous number of times this year, even though he's played superb football. And don't forget, he blew his knee out last year because they couldn't protect him. So that will be not just the film, but that will be the key going forward. Is you, you, Jamar Chase is not going to put up 250 yards in a game if his quarterback's injured. And we saw him getting injured towards the end of that game. And that is going to be the absolute crux for Joe Burrow's career going forward after he bust his knee last year, they've got to find a way to protect him better than even than they did this year. A lot of the pressure as well, though, is on it's stuff he does as well. He's one, one area where he still struggles is he's not great at getting rid of the ball when he should. Tries to do a little bit too much, as a lot of young quarterbacks do. 
but that's something that you have to learn quickly because you will get hurt. Yeah, it, it is interesting when you watch quarterbacks and, and you know, we, we've had quarterback discussions throughout, throughout the, the season on this. The difference between the really good quarterbacks and the and, and you got to remember, these guys are elite athletes, no matter where, you know, they're playing for the worst team or the best team. These are the best of the best. But when you see someone like Trevor Simeon come in for the Saints, he's a couple of good games and then all of a sudden can't seem to get rid of the ball. We're not talking a great deal of time here, but just those split second decisions are enough to absolutely, you know, take you out of things. Um, and and it does it does happen in terms of I mean the nominations that they're pretty much all Cincinnati based with the exception we've got uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders said Paddy Kelly I mean with all the stuff that's gone on this season to be a game away for the postseason is miraculous taking care of the Colts another game winning drive and Gavin Newlands touched on that for the the week sixteen ones uh, hopefully uh, Derek. Carr can start to get the respect he deserves, says Paddy Kelly. That was a massive win, Charles, to go in. I mean, the Colts, I mean, the Colts should get into the playoffs. All they've got to do is beat the Jags. But the Colts could have their feet up this week. Instead, they've got to go out and win a game. Uh, and you've got to give kudos to the Raiders. By the way, the Colts haven't won in Jacksonville in seven years. So uh, don't don't write it off. Um, the, the Colts <laughs> might miss the playoffs. Um, although having watched this year's Jag- Jaguars vintage, I don't hold out much hope for my seven-year-old to be celebrating a Jaguars win come Monday morning when he wakes up to go to school. Um, the, Ra- the Raiders are a fascinating test case in how to deal with adversity because you look at what that um, that franchise has had to to go through this season, starting off well, dropping games watching their head coach resign, watching their star wide receiver be ditched for an off the field incident. And they've had their special teams coach acting as the interim all the way through. They were gone at six and seven. They were absolutely dead in the water. I think everyone who was of uh, better knowledge than us in, in terms of the NFL media had decided that they were finished and they have won close games. The difference between teams winning close games and the ones who don't, is often the the edge that that drives you into the playoffs, and I, I I I'll be honest, I don't think that they'll win on Sunday night, and it's a game we might come to later on. I don't think that yeah. they'll beat the Chargers. The Chargers are a better team than the Raiders, but they're in with a chance. That's all you can do is put yourself in with an opportunity to try and get into the into the game at the end of the season. That's what the Steelers have done. They've been rank rotten all season, and they've put themselves in a position that they've got a chance. And you've got to hand it to the Raiders. And Derek Carr has been terrific all year. I mean, he throws an interception here and there, but he's, you know, the adversity that he's had to deal with and to put the team on his back, I, I think he's he's a terrific quarterback for the Raiders. I think he encapsulates everything that the Raiders need in, as, as a leader. I'll, I'll tell you what the Raiders are. The Raiders in the AFC, the Saints and the 49ers in the NFC, the Ravens in the AFC, the Steelers in the AFC, are an example that we did not need a seventh playoff team in each conference. <laughs> very, very no, harsh, but true. None, none of these teams are particularly good. No one, I don't want to see the Ravens, the Ravens get into the playoffs. Like, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be cheering for them to lose on Sunday. I'd, I'd given up on, when Marlon Humphrey got hurt, I'd given up on them being a, a serious contender in the playoffs. The, the Raiders are not a threat to win the Super Bowl. The Steelers are not a threat to win the Super Bowl. Neither are the Saints, neither are the 49ers. We don't need this seventh seed. I would say the 49ers have got half a shot, but the Eagles are the one. I mean, the Eagles have got into the playoffs with a week to spare 
and they've not beaten a team that's above 500. <laughs> so he, here's what here's what I want to talk about the Eagles, though. I've made notes for this. We, after week 17 last year, we spent a lot of time talking about the Eagles and everyone cried about the quarterback decision to chuck him out the game and throw that game against the Giants. Oh, what about the culture for the Eagles? Blah, 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 blah. That loss moved the Eagles from 10th overall to 6th overall in the draft. They used that pick to move further down in the draft with Miami. They now have three first-round picks, and the culture in Philadelphia was so poor from that last year, they got to the playoffs for a week to spare. But but it did cost them a coach, and it did cost them an awful and lot. it got them a better coach. Yeah, well, well that's the interesting one. And, and the reason I say that is Ross Black actually nominates for the Belter. Nick Sirianni's Philadelphia Eagles started 2-5 and five, but made the playoffs. It hasn't been pretty. Our defence has more holes than a sieve at times, but we did it. We're in the first year of a rebuild as well. Things are looking up on Broad Street. And, and he does have a fair point. It's, it's interesting. I mean... Th- I think my only quibble with you, Gordon, is it cost somebody their job, which was not the intention of the move that we, they made. In, it's one Lateral of these damage. things. Yeah, yeah. He, he turned out to be. Uh, and just on your point, Charles, I mean, Rich Bisaki gets a, a great deal of credit. But I, I, I think it is Derek Carr that's taken the Raiders over the top. And I think yeah. that says an awful lot about Derek Carr. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who opens up for that particular job because I don't think despite the fact Rich Saki has done well I don't think he's going to end up he's, with Derek the job Carr, Derek Carr hasn't taken them over the top he's taken them like to kind of that little bit of the hill whereby everyone stops for you rest that, <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's where the Raiders are the Raiders well, don't forget he's, Derek Carr has been in the playoffs once uh, or he took the Raiders to the playoffs but then he, he, he blew his knee out the week before couldn't play in the playoff yeah. game and then they lost to Houston now the Raiders have have had one winning season since they reached the Super Bowl in 2002. They're guaranteed a winning season this year. If you're in Vegas, are you celebrating that? Or are you thinking, hang on, we want a, a little bit more? I, I take absolutely, and I totally agree with Gordon's point, that they are they encapsulate this concept that a 9-8 and eight team going into the playoffs has no, no place to be there. And that's the NFL's fault. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a wild card team, once you're in the dance, you can do all sorts of damage if you really put your mind to it and if you hit the ground running. That's why I'm, from an NFC perspective, I look at the 49ers and if they beat the Rams this weekend and it's a big if, then suddenly they're in the playoffs and they're dangerous because they've got, they play a brand of football that I don't like as a Green Bay Packer and I don't think many other teams in the, in the NFC playoffs will like either. So I think you can go in on an eight and eight, nine and or nine and eight, or uh, you know eight, eight, eight and one, or whatever the bloody <laughs> record you finish with, I think you can go in and you can hit the ground. So, but I mean, the Bears were in there last year in eight and eight, and they didn't deserve to be there. And I think the Eagles, unfortunately, Eagles fans, I don't really think that you're going to make much of an impact in the playoffs. See, I, I'm in Gordon's camp with this because I, I'm torn here. The, so the Saints can make the playoffs, but really they are not a team capable of doing anything when you get there. So actually, I think extending it to, to seven is good for television, it's good for competition, it's good for talking about things. All of those things get a big tick. And you can get that team who starts off really badly and can recover. And if you peak at the right time, we've seen a wildcard team win the Super Bowl. I'm just not convinced this far down. In terms of, uh, let, let's just round off the 
the bottom of this. So the number one seeds, Green Bay and the Titans, they are the number one seeds. If they win out, they are the number one seeds. And then it goes through uh, Memphis and Milwaukee, Green Bay, essentially. Currently, it's the Rams, the Bucks, the Cowboys, the Cards, and the Eagles have all clinched. 49ers clinch with a win or a Saints loss. If the 49ers lose and the Saints win, the Saints will go marching on. In the AFC, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills and Patriots are all in. It's in the hands of the Colts and the Chargers. Winning they're in. Colts play the Jags. The Chargers play the Raiders. Unsurprisingly, Sunday night football has gone for the best matchup because it is the only winner-take-all uh, in those terms. Or, or is it? Well, <laughs> do, do you genuinely see that there's not this, going to be a way that the Chargers this, and the Raiders don't go head-to-head? To I, I, will, I will skip ahead and I'll tell you why my ball bag is the NFL schedulers for putting that game as the final game of the regular season. Good, go on. If, if the Jaguars do what they've done the last four or five years and beat the Colts at home, then the Raiders and Chargers both go to the playoffs if that game ends in a tie. The NFL will have set up a week 17 game, a week 18 game, whereby both teams have an incentive to not lose. Now, will they? Don't know. I mean, they're not going to do everyone's. It's not going to be what was the you know the Austria Germany Austria Germany Austria Germany yeah. 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 So yeah it's not it's not going to be that we're not just taking these the whole game but there's not an inset that that's a you know let's both get our teams to the playoffs. Is there an incentive though to to win that game if? You know, depending on who you're going to face. I mean, you're going to go on the road anyway. You know, is there a difference in going on the road to Kansas as to going on the road to the Bengals? I don't. I don't know. It's 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 a very interesting, it's a very interesting point. I mean, the Ravens need a Raiders win, a Colts loss, a Dolphins loss, uh, Boris Johnson to resign, Nicholas Sturgeon to let us out after five days, not seven, and all of these things uh, for that to happen. Um, Really, it's it's in the hands. I mean, the, if the Colts don't beat the Jags, you've got to think they don't deserve to be there. Correct. Um, you, you know, to, to be honest. Uh, I, and charge, I have a feeling, I have a feeling the Colts are going to lose that game just because if they, if they win that game, it's not a whole lot of excitement left. I mean, apart from the fact that last game obviously will be a, a win and end. But the Colts win that game, that the excitement for the rest of the day until the final game kicks off for the AFC is null and void. <laughs> it would be absolutely hilarious if they did lose the game. However, there is nothing that we have seen from Jacksonville in months to suggest that they can stop Jonathan Taylor, nor the fact that they can maybe score 20 points. They're just, they're inept. They're, they're a candidate for one of the worst teams of the last five years. And we've seen some he, bad teams. He did beat the Bills 9-6. They did, but I, I think that was an anomaly. That said more about the Bills and their ineptitude and inability and Josh, Josh Allen having one of his freaky 3-4 interception days. I, I, if it happens, and you do have this situation whereby a tie would get them in, then ultimately, I, I think you're, 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 in a, you're in a scenario whereby as professionals, you go out there and you get on with the job because it, how often we've had one tie this season. You usually get what one or two ties a season. If you're yeah, lucky. I think we had about three. The have we Steelers, had Steelers and Lions tied? Did we not get another one? No, we've not had another. We've had one this season and there were certainly one or two last season. The Lions have always, they always tie. I don't understand why the Lions seem to tie every year. Um, but ultimately these two teams, I think that 
if you look at the Raiders and the Chargers, which of those teams is going to make an impact in the playoffs? Long, Chargers. you know, the Chargers on paper, but the Chargers were inept enough that they went and lost to Houston. So they're not that good. And frankly, I think we're, you know, we are kind of, we're, we're, we're kind of scrabbling around here looking for a bit of gold in the dirt, whereby I don't think either of these teams are going to, at the end of the day, be in the, the championship game at the, at, you know, when it comes to the crunch. So I think it is a, it is a cock up by the NFL, but I think that the, the odds of it are quite long. The other thing sometimes we've got to consider is what's in the players' contracts and the coaches' contracts. You know, do you have incentives to get to the playoffs? You might be a shite team. But if you've got, you know, that extra, you know, you get us to the playoffs, you get a million dollars type thing, then that, that can make guys guys work very, very hard as well. But, but I, that's I, the I, point. I, they, might, they might not need to work hard. Both well, of them. Uh, and and this, this is the thing people need to remember. There are rivalries in the NFL. There are divisional rivalries and all that stuff when games kick off and your know, players don't like each other and big things, generally speaking, players do like each other. Coaches do like each other. I'm, I'm just saying, if that if that game goes that way, let's play a little game here. Let's not get anyone hurt. Let's get a tie. Let's both get the playoffs. Let's go have a nice wee glass of red to celebrate afterwards. I, I mean, if I if I was one of those two head coaches, that's what I would do. Don't don't risk yeah. don't risk injuries. Don't risk losing the game and not going to the playoffs if the other guy's willing to meet you in the middle. Yeah, but it would be such a Raiders thing to do is to to have the ball, you know, thirty seconds left. It's, it's seventeen all, and rather than take a knee, you kick a field goal just for the fun of it and pop the I, I Chargers say, out. I was going to say it'd be a, a a Chargers thing. You know, they're they're tying the game. It's about to be twenty seven all, and uh, Brandon Staley actually just decides he's going for two because that's what he does. <laughs> uh, I, I would, I would absolutely be here for the shithousery of telling someone you're going to tie, and then last minute kicking a winner field goal, going for two. I'd absolutely be here for that. Oh, that would that would be absolutely good. The scenes. I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure how Michael would, would survive it. Well, they wouldn't get out of Raider Nation alive. <laughs> they wouldn't. Be, they wouldn't be able to get out of Las Vegas without being taken out by the black hole. <laughs> That's where they end up, right, gentlemen? Let us let us agree, and I, I think we pre- should probably we could give it to Jamar Chase, we could give it to the Bengals, we could give it to Burrow and Chase, but for our Lock Loman Belter of the week, I, I genuinely think we've got to go with Jamar Chase on his own. Are there any objections to that? It's good for me. So our Lock Loman Belter of the week, we raise a glass to Jamar Chase. Well done, young man. Terrific, terrific stuff. And it was just brilliant to watch. So let's flip to the other side of the ball, so to speak, or the balls and the ball bags of the week. And there really is only one name that that's going to come up. So what I'm going to do, gentlemen, is I'm going to throw in the couple of nominations that we've got out with uh, a particular AB uh, just to talk about a couple of other stories. The Washington football team get several nominations. Stephen Bell is one of them. And they were talking about the stadium that Washington currently play in because they've not looked after it very well. They're trying to get a new stadium, move elsewhere. Uh, Cameron Christie also, the crumbling stadium. Rusty railings almost crushing a franchise quarterback. Uh, it did look... It, it looked scary to the point of view. It looked like it was almost a platform that had been built out. It wasn't very, very solidly done. Um, but that's not the kind of thing we want to see in professional sport in what should be top-class facilities with, you know, barriers collapsing and players being endangered as well as fans. 
no, it's horrendous. And they also, after it happened, apparently how they fixed it currently is little uh, the little clips, little plastic clips that go around. That's oh yeah, yeah, fix for it. So they, they they didn't go with it. What is it? Monster glue or whatever they call it in America. Gorilla stuff. glue, I think it is. That that's the very one. It solves everything <laughs> according to all the adverts. So Washington football team, if they don't have a gorilla glue patch on their uniforms next week, I would be highly surprised. Tom Brady gets a nomination. Um, Tom Brady keeps standing up for Antonio Brown, telling us to be nice to his pal. Uh, he doesn't particularly like that to Steve Briggs. Paddy Kelly, uh, the whole pish cast. Um, I'm going back to a lot of you and your tough selection of drinks. What happened to a good, honest can of yellow Scottish lager? IPA hipsters is what he calls us. I, I had apple flavoured Jack Daniels. It was rancid. <laughs> uh, mm, no, not having that. Not having that. Ross Sterling says, Rashad, Fenton of the Chiefs for constantly committing fouls. Uh, he's basically saying that, you know, uh, then sarcastically applauding the officials like it's their fault. That never goes down particularly well. Um, George Jackson says, Matt Ryan. Uh, he says, OK, we all know that it's Antonio Brown, but Matt Ryan diving in for a touchdown, assuming he got it. I actually loved this. And I felt so One sorry thing. for Matt Ryan. He goes in, scores the touchdown. He doesn't care about the 15-yard penalty that's going to come on the kickoff. Does a brilliant bit taunting. The flag comes in, and then they review the play, and they don't give it to him. That was that was awesome. Well, he doesn't he doesn't go for a rushing touchdown very often, does Matt Ryan? So um, I felt a bit sorry for him too, actually. But yeah, well, we we've, we've discussed taunting on this show yeah, yeah, far too much. Let's not go into the taunting. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, there's there's just too many people to mention. Um, Sarah Ross nominates um, Antonio Brown for the ball bag. I should mention that Sarah actually said also uh, that she managed in her first year of fantasy to get to the final um, and won it. So we congratulate her for that. The reason I mention that is I love her name of her team, Little Red Fernet, which I think is just, hey. I think that's one of the best fantasy team names <laughs> I've heard in a while. Now, she says AB stands for Absolute Bellend. Although, if he has mental health problems, I hope he gets the help he needs. Now, I think we can say this at the outset. If the guy has got trouble, we hope he gets support. However, there's been a lot of troubled players playing in the NFL uh, with under a lot of pressure, a lot of personal circumstances and duress, and they have not done what Antonio Brown did. Essentially, and he got cut on the sidelines. I now, think the, pro- the problem here, and we heard Bruce Arians come straight out off the bat after the game, saying he's no longer a buck. That's fine. Is it, it is Bruce Arians' responsibility, and to a lesser extent, Tom Brady, because Tom Brady was the one that persuaded Brown to come to Tampa, just as he was the one that persuaded him to go to New England a couple of years ago. It is Bruce Arians' responsibility to make sure that the health of his players is paramount. Now, he could be the, you know, he's one of the best wide receivers of the last decade in terms of talent. If he is not mentally right, the buck should know that. They should be looking after their player. They should know whether he is in the right frame of mind to be going onto the field. Now, there was this hoo-ha a couple of weeks ago when he came back from his suspension for the um, the COVID certification issue. And Antonio Brown appeared to be annoyed at the way in which the Bucks had handled it and he didn't want to answer the questions. That should have been the red flag, in my view. They should have realised then if there was an issue, right, let's manage this guy. He's clearly not exactly anything other than a diva 
and a, a difficult glass character to have to handle. They should have been absolutely aware that something might blow up at some point. And for the benefit of the team who are going for a second Super Bowl in two years, they, they, they deserve everything they get frankly, as far as I'm concerned, if there's repercussions here and Brady's ending up with no receivers in the playoffs and oh dear, they deserve everything they get because it's their irresponsibility, in my view, for not looking after their player. So the devil's advocate on that, Charles, and I'll put this point to Gordon, is if, so we know that the NFL is almost micromanaged, you know, every department has its own coaches and things like that. So the wide receivers coach would have seen him in practice, would have been speaking to him, would have known about him. If he had any doubt, then really Antonio Brown should have been listed as an active for the week. If there was any doubt about his ankle, they should have listed him as an active for the week. Do we presume that they have done their due diligence and he's on the sidelines, he's fully dressed? Bear in mind, if the player had any doubt, why do you get yourself fully dressed for the game? Uh, you know, he's walking around with his helmet. It's not like his helmet was lying somewhere else. He told the coaches that he couldn't go. The coaches somehow, and whichever path they got to that, Gordon, assumed that he was ready to play and it is an act of arguably insubordination. You're sent into the game and you refuse to go and you suddenly reveal you've got an ankle knock. Yeah, I mean, having watched the NFL for, what, about 15, 20-ish years at this point, I think I'm not going to attempt to assume anything in that regard because NFL teams sometimes do stupid things. Um, to Charles' point, like the Buccaneer knew this is what they were getting into. Now, the flip side of that is how much does it actually hurt them? Like, so he's not going to play for them the rest of the year. Okay. Contributed to the Super Bowl last year. Like, they've got the use out of him they wanted. You got the use. The 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 drama and stuff surrounding him now is not derailing the Buck season. He's gone. Everyone's talking about it, but Tom Brady's not going to let that slow him down. They've still got Mike Evans. He's still got Gronk. You know, they made, I can't remember the guy's name who stepped up last week and saw a lot of the ball in his absence. They have a tendency to do that, don't they? Rashad Perriman had a game-winning touchdown overtime the other week. Like they, They're going to be fine. That They've very much got the use they needed out of Antonio Brown. And when the the um, attitude issues became too much of a problem, that's when they move on, and that's what they've done. What I find strange, Charles, is the fact that, as I say, he was changed, he was ready. They obviously you know, were able to call on him and, and he refused to go in. I mean, you've got yourself changed. You're out there. You've obviously done your warm-up because you don't go into these things cold. Surely the, whether we feel he's got mental health issues or not, he's a professional sportsman. And you go to the coach and say, coach, my ankle's done. Can't play today. You know, the, it's a two-way street at the end of the day. The, the only thing that we haven't discussed is whether or not it is in Antonio Brown's nature that he wants to make a scene. Yeah. And previous history would suggest that he likes to make a scene. He likes to be the centre of attention. Um, this is a guy who's retired and then unretired, who has, you know, caused a you know a USA headlines due to his toe being in a freezer or some nonsense. Uh, look, the, the guy as a player, I don't think you can dispute his talent, but. This is why I say that Tampa deserve everything they get if it comes back to bite them. You absolutely need to do your due diligence 
when you sign players. And I know that the NFL has got a sketchy record but, but on what, looking after what, players. What, what due diligence did they well, the do? Well, the due, yeah, the due diligence, <laughs> not, not, not about how good a player he is, not about his talent. No, 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 no. But you've, got, you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to actually assess the guy and decide whether or not he is going to be a good fit for your locker room and whether or not he is actually mentally and physically capable of stepping onto the pit. No, no, I, I mean, that, that's absolutely fine. I'm just... It's not due diligence because it was all played out in front of everyone. Due diligence is like, okay, is this guy going to be a fit? Is this going to work? Let's look at this. You know, does this guy have anything we need to know about? Everything, everything you need to know about Antonio Brown, he was very public in, you know, in telling everyone. It's just well, but the the, the problem lies in the fact on December the second he was suspended by the NFL. Between then and now, something has clearly happened that clicked in his mind that has led to that situation in the stadium at the weekend. That is, no one, we've never seen that before. That is not a normal situation. And if you're the Buccaneers and if you're looking after your players, and I know it's difficult now with COVID because a lot of time players are not in the facilities and players do stuff outside of the team environment that you can't vouch for. And, you know, that's just the way it is. But look after your players. You should be, especially with a guy like that, who's clearly walking on eggshells every day. I agree entirely with that. Like, you, you should know ahead of time. And, you know, we've seen from Antonio Brown before, these things do happen in in bunches. And that, that probably lends itself to some of the issues that people have, have talked about this week. The fact that it does all come in little bunches rather than, you know, there'll be weeks where there's nothing at all and then it's like things can, you know, snowball and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. They should be looking into those things. Just a lot of times in the NFL... It's let's try and get to a Super Bowl. Who gets us a Super Bowl? And that's where a lot of the aftercare starts and stops. What what we didn't see, gents, was and what the Bucks haven't come out and said. It would be interesting to know what happened when he reached the dressing room and obviously started to get changed. Did they send coaches in after no, no, to talk? He didn't, to reach, him? he didn't reach the dressing room and start to get changed. He was changed. Well, dressed <laughs> by the time he got the end zone. I'm just surprised he didn't have his phone out and ordered the Uber as he was walking down the tunnel. Um, you know, did they send anybody in after him? Did somebody try to reason with him and talk to him then? We don't know that, and I'm not sure it really was addressed in the press conference because I think Bruce Arians made it perfectly clear he didn't want to talk about it. But, you think, you know, if the Bucks have exercised a certain duty of care there and tried to get him under under control, for the want of a better phrase, and try and reach out and help him. In that situation, in that moment where he has walked off, it looks absolutely terrible. But if he's insistent on he's had enough, he's done, he's getting out of there, he's going to order an Uber, there's actually not really a lot you can do, Charles. He's an adult. Yeah, absolutely. He is an adult. And I think the two things that are outlying now is the fact that, first of all, Tampa Bay haven't actually officially released him yet. He's still contracted to them as of as we as we're recording this so who's to say he's not going to appear again at some point <laughs> in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform um they are playing in week week 18 so we don't know what's happening there and i think that i think that the the organization needs to address that and secondly if he does leave if you're an NFL head coach do you now look at that as the final straw for Antonio Brown. Do you want to take on the risk of taking Antonio Brown into your onto your team with the especially if you're a contender? Let's say you're in the playoffs in the next, you know, playing in the next four or five weeks in the playoffs, trying to get get the Vince Lombardi trophy, and you're a wide receiver down. Do you make that phone call to his agent? Because I, I'm the 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 moral 
inside me, if I was the head coach or an owner, I would run a mile. I would absolutely run a mile. But I think that there is somebody out there who's in playoff contention who will seriously look at trying to get them, get him in the building if he doesn't leave. Here's the answer to your question on that. Would you have signed Antonio Brown after everything that happened last time? I wouldn't have, personally. But, neither would I. Someone in the NFL did. Yeah. If, if Antonio Brown can still play, and I think he still can, and maybe it won't be the playoffs, maybe it'll be next season. If he can still play and he wants to play somewhere, someone will sign him. See, it's interesting. One of the podcasts I listen to are, you know, entertained. They, they talk about sports data and composition of teams, amongst other things in sports business. And sports business does seem to be moving to the model for the teams that are not at the very top in terms of finance to a character model to make sure that you can blend your your dressing room. Now, it's the old All Blacks, New Zealand All Blacks ethos, no assholes. It's basically, you know, how, how they call it. And we have seen players called into the All Black team not react particularly well to it, and they get slung. You know, they might win one cap or two caps, but their attitude is wrong. And I think what we're seeing is that teams are taking on, you know, sports data, sports medicine data, um, you know, injury prevention, and that dressing room chemistry. They are not risking their dressing room for for a prima donna. And I think you can do it if you're at the highest level because you've got the money to buy the best players, but it's those teams just underneath that with the right chemistry and the right mix of players can challenge. I don't think can go anywhere near somebody like Antonio Brown. And if you're a player who is like that, who is a prima donna to use that word, but if you are the, one of the best of the best, then you can get away with it because there will always be a team that's prepared to, to roll the dice on you and take a risk. Antonio Brown is at the stage of his career. He is not the Antonio Brown of 2016. So, this is why I do wonder whether this is his last shot because he's not the player he once was. He's 33. And I think if you're, unless you are desperate, you would have to be seriously considering whether or not it's worth the risk. I look at Beckham, look at Odell Beckham and Odell Beckham. We, we've talked on here how he is, you know, he, how all the stuff that went on with Baker Mayfield and how he's a prima donna and, you know, he, he, he fits the wide receiver stereotype of everything being blown out of proportion. He's gone into LA and to his credit, he's knuckled down. He's not played, he's not blown the doors off in terms of his play, but he's come up with clutch plays for the Rams and he's kept his mouth shut and he's actually delivering. And I didn't think he'd do that. And you compare him to Brown, Brown, it's got to be about him. It has to, he has to be the center of attention. And, I do, it's just at some point people click and they realise do you know what we don't need this hassle anymore so it's almost as if maybe the problem in Cleveland wasn't Odell Beckham yeah who knew well <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is interesting yeah some players can you know have that have a high maintenance reputation but can still deliver when they're in the right situation I think it's just uh, wide receivers and- there's an awful lot of wide receivers who it is the mentality and they like to be showmen and I mean most of the time it's great there's t- you know that this is these are I don't think like players like Antonio Brown are players who it's beyond that whole kind of you know, for years we talked about diva wide receivers and stuff like that the Antonio Brown stuff's like a step beyond that Odell Beckham's the guy who this whole conversation of you know do you want a wide receiver to be a diva and I don't really care like let guys be flashy and showman because it's fun the Odell Beckham stuff is you know and there's off the field stuff as well there's issues there and everything so. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we've no doubt that Antonio Brown wins the ball bag um, <laughs> of the week. Uh, he is our ball bags, ball bag of the week, Antonio Brown. The award used to be named after him. So as Gordon said, it doesn't come as any surprise to any head coach anywhere um, that, that that is his reputation. Gentlemen, uh, I, I need a number from you. So let's go with a bottle of whiskey. Lock Lomond bottle of whiskey. A number between 101 and 150 from Gordon. Uh, 114. 114. That will be... Ah, a Dallas fan actually winning something this week. Lauren Callahan, congratulations to you, Lauren. You are our Loch Lomond Belt of the Week winner of our bottle of wonderful whiskey. That will be on its way to you. So, Charles, Antonio Brown is our ball bag. Who's going to be our ball bag winner? A number again from that range, 101 to 150. Uh, we'll go for 141. 141, and that will bring up... Simon Webster. Simon, congratulations to you. Uh, a pair of Bob Hanks underwear will be winging their way to you in the very near future. Let's have a look at a couple of things as well. Our, our own pick six within the group, Cameron is winning that at the moment, so I think we can skirt over that because he's not here. Uh, the Bonnie Sauce Company. Pick'em, which I just love. I love the Pick'em one. I've managed to get my winning percentage up from 79% to 84%, but I had two bad weeks, and that is done for me. The Dumfries Demons are out in front on 174 points. We're going into the last week. Remember, it's a regular season only. Jenny Bowlers, 173. Paul McEn, 71. Is one of four people on 171, so still everything to play for. Remember, there are a couple of Saturday games this week. Please do not lose out on the title by not getting your picks in early. I do enjoy that, and we thank our sponsors, the Bonnie Sauce Company, for that as well. Uh, fantasy football, guys, we don't, we talk about more in the close season than, than here. We mention it once or twice along the way. It was the NFL Scotland Fantasy Football League final, uh, which was between Cameron and yours truly. And it Cameron needed 50, I think 12, 14 points from Nick Chubb, who started off with a 32-yard run and decided that he teased Cameron off and basically went into cold storage. And there was much champagne in the Mitchell household on Tuesday morning. For those new to the podcast, uh, I'm the general manager of my team. I delegate the day-to-day -day running uh, to my health. Glad you admitted that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's highly true. There's no doubt about it. What I will say is that Adam's done a tremendous job. We do talk about the team every week, just in case people wonder. And uh, I do have the final say, uh, but he's done a wonderful job and uh, much celebrations. And I'd just like to take this moment to send my deepest commiserations. See, I can't even do it with a straight face to Cameron <laughs> for a coming second. I'm sorry, mate. I just could I, I set off with good intentions. Just couldn't get there. Yeah, dancer. We won. Cameron, who took it so well that he was messaging me, asking me to noise you up and talk about the fact that you had a <laughs> schedule and you had this, that, and the next thing. Cameron, who, by the way, got shamed in our uh, NFL Scotland Fantasy League WhatsApp group because uh, Paul wondered why he hadn't posted anything about it on the NFL Scotland Twitter account, to which Cameron said he didn't really talk about uh, fantasy football. And a simple, a simple search of the NFL Scotland Fantasy account found that when he beat Scott Cooper by about 125 points he had a little post on there to celebrate his regular season win 
<laughs> Wonderful Bob Agony there from Cameron. And uh, we applaud him for trying, but Twitter has S3 function. And it was just simple that Gordon went a lot back further than Cameron did to check out. So, Gordon, I applaud you for that. I also applaud you for the meme that you sent in the chat, which I think was from Come Down With Me, which was one of the most ungracious winners' speeches, I think, ever in the history of television. Uh, and I think Cameron certainly reflected that to a certain extent. But uh, Cameron and I will patch up our differences over, uh, well, one of the hamburgers he owes me from last year. Yeah. I was going to say, it won't, be, it won't be the bottle of whiskey that you've not been um, given yet, unless that's your prize for winning the Fantasy League. So. Uh, no, apparently I've, I've got to admit at some point that Jameis Winston has been the best option at quarterback for the Saints before a bottle of whiskey comes so, my way. There you go, you said it. You said it. <laughs> There you go. It all works in the end. So, yeah, we 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 bought the Loch Lomond uh, mold will be coming my way. In terms of the, the pick six, and I just want to, the overall the Bonnie Sauce Pickham Company. When you when you look back at things, it's it's any you know people who were brave enough to go for the Bengals over the Chiefs. You know that 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 was a tough one. Uh, you know, so there's a few people that might have thought the Broncos had an outside chance of taking out the Chargers didn't happen. There were some awkward games. There would have been a few people going for the Lions, even though they were going to Seattle simply because they'd been playing well and the Seahawks popped 51 points on them. A couple of games that we've not really touched on that I'd like to touch on. Charles, I'll start with you. A statement win for Arizona going to the Cowboys stadium and winning? Well, Kyler Murray's never lost in that stadium, if I'm right in thinking. Um, yeah, going back to like high school. Yeah, go back to high school. Uh, he's he's a, a Texas boy and he, he, he played his best game in many, many weeks. And this is why with Dallas, I don't trust them because, and they've, they've now lost Michael Gallup for the year um, after he, he bust his knee catching that touchdown. I don't trust them against the best teams. They've got a defense that's created so many turnovers this year. The stars, you know, like, like Diggs and, and Parsons clearly are great players for the future. But when it comes to the crunch in the big game, can you trust Dallas? I don't think you can. And Arizona play in the toughest division in football. And although they've had a slump, they've had a really difficult time of it in the last month or so. They are more battle hardened, in my view, than Dallas. And I, even if even if they don't win the division, and if they're the wild card team and they're the number five seed, Arizona, I think, have won eight games on the road this year or seven games on the road this year. They are probably better placed to go out and knock teams out away from home than any other team in the in the playoffs. So, I think it was a statement win, but I think they needed a win in the nick of time to just get the ball rolling for the playoffs because they've been in the playoffs for months. And it's an interesting one. I mean, they could actually still meet again, depending on how the seeding works out. So they could meet again in Dallas, uh, more than likely. The Packers took care of the Vikings without Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, COVID because of close contact, unvaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. Whether he was vaccinated or not wouldn't have mattered for Kirk Cousins playing in this game. It then has different protocol reactions further on. I think we've touched enough about COVID and I think we'll be coming back to it because I think things are going to start to change. It's now a five-day period. Of course, being a Saints fan, everybody was convinced that they waited till the Saints had all their COVID issues and they basically announced it the following day to say, you know, it was then down to five days. The Steelers and Browns, it would be remiss of us not to talk about Big Ben chiming out 
in Steelerland if that's where it's going to be his final home game. What a dreadful, dreadful game of football that was. Big Ben in his final game averaged, I think it was 2.7 yards per attempt. He won the game because Baker Mayfield is terrible. Had another one at least interception that was horrible. You do wonder, you do wonder with Pittsburgh, and this is all kind of hindsight and predicting the future in the next two, three years. But if he had retired last year, then they would have probably drafted a quarterback. And you look at the quarterbacks that are coming up in in, in this year's draft, and they're not great um, by by any stretch of accounts. There were what five quarterbacks taken in the first fifteen picks um, nine months ago. You would imagine that Pittsburgh would have made moves to try and take one of them. And you do wonder whether his decision to come back one year extra might set them back four or five years until they find the guy. Because they're going to have to go out and shell out now on a veteran. So the interesting thing, if they, if I was the Steelers, I would go through the draft and I would draft one this year. Even though everyone has their questions, there's the guy Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. There's Malik Willis from Liberty. There's a guy Corral who just got hurt for Ole Miss. All these guys could potentially be available when the Steelers pick. The advantage to taking a rookie quarterback is that rookie quarterback deal. And the Browns have a decision to make with Baker Mayfield. The Ravens don't really have a decision. They will re-sign Lamar Jackson. The Bengals in two years' time will have to re-sign Joe Burrow. If you're the Steelers, get a rookie quarterback. A couple of years' time, you get the rub of having your quarterback on a rookie deal if he pans out. Now, the flip side of that is that is still a team that's set up to win, and there is a certain Mr. Rogers who's been very complimentary about that organization. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at I me, mean, Kenny Pickett, I think would be a good match. I think you, you get the goodwill of the pit player going to, to Pittsburgh, etc. The old Miss quarterback, I think the ankle injury is not too serious. So hopefully he's going to be okay with that. But it, it, it does start a little merry-go-round. You know, is Russell Wilson available? You know, we'll see it. Will Pete Carroll come back? for another season you know will there be change there so I think it's one of these ones that there could be a domino effect you know coming into this it'll be very interesting to see the one thing that surprised me just finally on the Brown Steelers game is I'm surprised that the Browns didn't run the ball more I mean Nick Chubb was available they just mm. didn't didn't use him overly much and you just wonder you know if he'd got an extra 50 yards and a touchdown that might have changed lives somewhere I, I read a, a, a piece that suggested that the game acted as an audition for Baker Mayfield. And it was almost as if Kevin Stefanski decided, you know what, I'm just going to make him throw the ball. Um, and this is Baker Mayfield, who's had a, a torn shoulder muscle for two and a half months and is now going to get surgery on it and isn't playing next week. And what, I think we discussed this a couple of weeks ago. There's clearly tension between Mayfield's side and the Browns organization. Now, you've got a, a guy like Nick Chubb you, you run the ball with him. He's a better option than Baker Mayfield, but there's obviously stuff going on in the background there. I th- they've got they're, they're going to take the fifth year option on Baker Mayfield. I think he'll be back there next year, hopefully with a restored shoulder, and he's going to have a one year audition to prove that he's the, the long term quarterback. But you've got to ask Kevin Stefanski the questions: Is he does he actually back Baker Mayfield? He's the head coach. Do you back your quarterback? Because if you don't, that is a recipe for disaster. I think there's two big questions. One is that exact question you've just asked. The other is, why the hell was Baker Mayfield still... Like, all jokes aside about the fact he's been playing poorly, and he absolutely has been, he's been hurt all year. And it's a shoulder injury. Okay, it's in his non-thrown shoulder, but it got re-injured a couple of times. He's clearly been injured. And, you know, as much as even people who think he's not going to work out in the NFL, he's been worse since he's been hurt. 
what on earth are they doing playing? Play Case Keenum. Shut. Hmm. The fact that we've got to week 18, they're out the playoffs now, and Baker Mayfield has now decided he's going to go get shoulder surgery. Now, they were out of the playoffs as soon as results had happened on Sunday. So they were out of the playoffs on Monday, and Baker Mayfield still played. There's a whole trail of decisions in Cleveland around Baker Mayfield that they've made this season that just don't make sense for the next one. If he's too hurt, don't play him. If they value yeah. him as a franchise quarterback, they should have put him in on ice. Yeah. And that, it, it, that would suggest that they don't value him. And that, if you're Baker Mayfield, you feel probably quite lonely. And if you're the Browns and you're essentially throwing a guy who's not fit to the wolves and to TJ Watt in particular, that's, again, it comes back to looking after your players here. You know, I'll be in a different context. You know, if if you if they if you think that Baker Mayfield is the future of your franchise, you look after him. You don't put him back in. I, I look at the way, and I'm I don't want to harp on about the Packers here at all, but I look at the way that they've been looking after their injured players. Guys, they've been bringing guys back so slowly. Bakhtiari was meant to be back in November. He wasn't clear. He was ready to play, but they think they went no, no, no. Well, well, hang on, and then something cropped up, and he's been back on the shelf, and he's never played. Teams that value their best players will look after them to the nth degree. The, the Ravens did it as well with, with Lamar at the end of this year and with Ronnie Stanley. Stanley got hurt again coming back from injury and they kept him on the roster and it was this, you know, is he going to play? You know, we'll see kind of how things work, blah, 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 blah. And it got to the point where they just put him on IR. They realised that there was no point in carrying that on. It just doesn't make a lot of sense what the Browns did this year with Baker. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I would have had him out of there. I mean, the second that things went against them on Sunday, which meant they couldn't actually do anything, he could have been in a surgery on Monday morning and just get get the problem addressed. The longer then you've got to recover uh, and you don't have to spend an off-season asking about it all. So absolutely agree. Guys, before we go, just a, a quick look at, We've talked about some of the games that are coming up. There's obviously a lot of nothing games involved, and there's some decent games. We do get we get Saturday night football. We get the Chiefs, Broncos, and the Cowboys, Eagles. I think the latter could be quite tasty, um, and I think sometimes teams enjoy being the spoiler, certainly with an in-division matchup, and that would probably be the only thing that the Broncos have got going for them. They can't have a winning season anyway. Uh, we've talked about the games that matters, 9-7 and seven Colts going to the Jaguars, etc, etc. I think it's a big one for the 49ers going to the Rams. It'll be interesting to see how many um, you know, people that the Rams rest, the Saints go to the Falcons, etc. But the, la- the last question I want to ask, because we've already touched on the Chargers and the Raiders, is how do the record books accurately show the change of 16 games to 17 games. So, for example, well, this is what I want to talk about. So, you know, if you are, you know, the all-time rookie receiving record, which Jamar Chase, as Gordon mentioned, has has done it within 16 games. If he'd done that after 17 games, is he rightfully the record holder or should there always be an asterisk against it? How do you view these things, guys? Well, I, I, you know, you go on, you go. They've increased the number of games before, mm. and how the, how they'll do it in the future is they'll probably say when they say the record, you know, most in a season, and then they'll say, you know, they'll tell the story of when the number of games changed. But same college football, they they decided one year to add bowl games, and bowl games now count towards records. Mm. Yeah, but I, you see it. In, I think you see it in in different sports whereby. I mean, look at the, the Six Nations rugby. They introduced bonus points. So 
suddenly the team that won the Grand Slam with bonus points has you know has has won more points than than any other team in in the history of the of the Six Nations. And then Test cricket was the same. They play far more far more matches now in cricket. Far you know the, the averages are inflated as a result. It's just it's evolution. And what I will say though is that TJ Watt has only played 14 games this year. He's missed two because of injury. He could still break the sat record of Michael Strahan's quite he, easily. He will. He, will. he should. The, if the it's Ra- against the Ravens, <laughs> the Ravens' offensive line at tackle this year, he's either, he doesn't, he doesn't line up over the left tackle very often, so he's not going to get Villanueva, I don't think. I think he gets uh, Patrick McCarry, who is not. He's like a borderline start, starting caliber tackle. It's probably going to be against Tyler Huntley, who holds on to the ball a little bit too long. He's he's in for a two sack day. <laughs> Brilliant. Any any other topics we, we wish to bring up before we ride off into I'm, the good I'm night? gonna I'm gonna slag off the NFL schedulers again because Chiefs Broncos has the potential to kill an awful lot of excitement about Sunday as well. So Bengals Browns, the Bengals have nothing to play for in that game if the Chiefs win on Saturday. If you'd played Bengals-Browns on Saturday, the Bengals win that game because they're still in with a shot at the one seed. When the Chiefs beat the Broncos, because they will, the Bengals and Browns don't have anything to play for, and the Bengals already know that. They've already announced that Brandon Allen's starting this week. But why? If you're giving us an extra week of football, please do not make decisions that make more of the games meaningless than have to be. Would that not be ESPN's fault rather than rather than the NFL themselves. I mean, I'm presuming the television networks, I presume Sunday Night Football got first pick and that, that's where they've gone. Could, uh, it could they, be, but I think the NFL, like I think they can do it in a way that keeps games meaningful. So apparently the story went that one of the games they wanted either for the, the early game or the late game was Raven Steelers because they're both technically still alive and, you know, it's a big rivalry in the NFL, but they weren't allowed to because the Steelers played on Monday night. Right, got you. Which again, going into the season, if you knew that that was one that you'd potentially want to flex, why did you have the Browns play Browns play the Steelers Monday night? Yeah, it, it certainly is difficult. I mean, there's some games that will will be worth watching. Um, that that Chargers Raiders, presuming they're not playing for a tie, will be an interesting one. It'll be interesting uh, if they are, though, as well. <laughs> well, well, well to, to be fair, I think the 49ers Rams that that will be the headline 9:25 game for me. Um, 49ers have to win it. Right? Charles, I think that's probably one that's that's worth watching. Yeah, that that is, and especially because um, the Niners have beaten the Rams the last five times they've played them. So the Rams are. You said it'll be interesting to see how, what you know who the Rams rest. The Rams are playing for the number two seed here. If the Rams win, then they they're guaranteed, assuming they win the first one, two home playoff games. They don't want to have to be traveling to Tampa Bay um, in the divisional round if they fall to the three or four seed. And they don't want to be traveling to Green Bay because they've been to Green Bay already this year and got whipped. So there is a lot to play for for the Rams and the Niners. That's actually, from a seedings perspective in the NFC, that's the biggest game of the lot. I do think that the Niners' hex can continue over them and then that will completely mess up the whole picture in there. And Dallas are sitting at four at the moment, might end up jumping up. And it's, it's a bit of a mess, the NFC, in terms of the two, three, four seed um, just now. But the AFC, I, I would expect it to go to form because the Colts are not... You, I, I, I'm quite happy to put my head on the line here. They're not, not going to beat the Jags. 
And if they do beat the Jags, if the Jags do beat them, then the only thing I'm going to have to look forward to is my son being happy that they won <laughs> on Monday morning. <laughs> I'm quite happy to put my neck on the line and say the Colts will get rid of all this tie nonsense. I think they will. Any, any other sneaky good games in there, Gordon? Or is or have we covered the major ones? I think we probably have. The, A lot of it resolved t- itself last week. That's yeah, I mean... Will, will the Titans, Titans, will, yeah, that's the yeah, game I was t- going to mention. Titans Texans is a little bit interesting because so if you look at Colts Jaguars and it's kind of like okay Jaguars aren't going to win that game. The Titans, as much as they're the one seed, have a little bit of the Steelers last year about them that we don't really trust them, do we? And what Derek Henry coming back in the playoffs will be tough for teams to deal with this week in this final game. They've not been in any way consistent down the stretch. The Texans have been better than I think we thought. Four wins is a little bit more than we expected. Davis Mills has probably looked good enough that in a year where they're going to have probably the second or third, uh, the third or fourth pick, they'll probably take a defensive player or an offensive tackle and then go for the quarterback next year. That that's that's one of the games this week that I could see being a little bit of an issue for the Titans. There's always one game in the final weekend that causes an anomaly, and that's a pretty good bit of potential. If they can beat the Chargers then they can absolutely beat the Titans. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. That's all for episode 177 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Do check out our social media channels and our website full of great content from the NFL Scotland writers. We'll be back next week to recap the regular season. We'll preview the playoffs. We'll talk about who's got the draft picks and where currently it's the Jacksonville Jaguars in place to get yet another first round pick. Will that change? We shall see. My thanks to Charles Patterson and to Gordon McGuinness for joining me on episode 177. Cameron Hobbs will be back with us next week when we're all together to talk all things NFL. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.